0: Battelle does an absolutely amazing, amazing job, and they've been faithful and consistent year after year, and so many people, we, we've had the privilege as a church of hearing story after story, year after year, of lives that are being changed, and, and so as a church, we want to make sure that we're not a place that just gathers on Sunday, but we're a place that shares the love of Christ throughout our city. We want to invest in our city. That's why we do so many things with homeless ministry, with Dignity, the refugee outreach that we have, um, and we partner with Battelle. And, and and we want to strengthen that partnership. And so we've built it into our, our budget so they'll get a, a regular amount. But today, we want to bless Battelle. And so when you go out, um, there's going to be baskets there where you can give uh, an offering that we'll collect, and all of which will go to Battelle. If you're one who gives online, that's perfectly fine. You can give a gift to us. None of the finance people know I'm going to say this, but that's all right. Forgiveness is easier than permission. So you just send a, send a gift and support a batel. You can either put a note on the gift, or you can send us an email afterwards to make sure that all of it goes to there, because we want to, to bless them. And, and see this ministry go and thrive. And, and so you know that um, I'm not one who says things and doesn't do them, so I'm giving my donation right now to my wife to take to put in the basket. So, well, actually, it's her donation as well. So, <laughs> our donation. But thank you for your faithfulness. Peter and Veronica, you're heroes to us. And the men and the women that have come through Battelle, um, they're remarkable. They really, really are. And here's, here's the message of Jesus Christ is that He takes us wherever we are, no matter how broken we are in whatever form, because there's all different kinds of brokenness, and He can restore. He can bring life and freedom. That's the message of the gospel. That's what we preach, and I pray it's what we live as a church. So please generously support Patel. And I'm going to ask us to, to bow in prayer together before we um, have a, a brief message. Um, but I want, to, I want to lift up Patel as well as uh, some other things before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who rescues us. Lord, each and every one of us is the story of someone who's turned away from you. It may be through pride. It may be through substances. It may be through lust. It may be through all kinds of different ways in our life, but you are a God who has pursued each and every one of us, and we thank you. And Lord, I thank you for... Ministries like Battelle that you use as your hands and feet to pursue us. Lord, I thank you for their ministry here in Prague. And Lord, right now they face um, a great opportunity, but some significant obstacles. But you're a God who opens doors that no man can close. And so we come before you, God, and we ask that you would open up this door and provide for them a new home where the ministry to the ladies, uh, first and foremost, can grow and thrive so that they don't have to turn people away who are seeking help, who are seeking you, even if they don't know it yet. So Lord, we come together as your church and we pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Battelle and ask that you would push wide open the door to provide for this resource. Lord, as well as their um, the challenge that they have because of um, the rerouting of the of the roads and getting things to the to the people to the shop, Lord, would you just overcome that and open up a new opportunity that connects them with people that maybe they never would have met or um, communicated with before? You're a God who does wonderful and amazing things, and we thank you for the example of our brothers and sisters at Battelle. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the many other outreaches that are part of the church, Lord, for dignity and its outreach to the refugees um, here in our city as well as across the country. Lord, we thank you for our homeless outreaches each week. Lord, for our youth ministry. Lord, I praise you for for the many students that we have today that are on the ski trip. Just ask for your safety and watch care over them. And Lord, I pray that you'll do great things in them spiritually today. Father, as our hearts are bowed before you, they are also heavy for the peoples of New Zealand. Lord, there are circumstances like this that show us the depth of the evil uh, that has fractured this world. And Lord, I pray that somehow you will will bring comfort. Lord, I lift up the Muslim community who's, who's hurting so deeply. Lord, would you bring them comfort? Would You draw them to Yourself? Lord, um, we pray for justice to be accomplished and also, Lord, that that peace will return to that land and, Lord, the many other conflicts that that go uh, around our world. We recognize that the hope that we have is in You. Father God, as we open up Your Word, I pray that You would speak to us. Lord, I ask that You would let me get out of the way, and Lord, You would speak to our hearts and to our minds right where we are, and Lord, You'd change us. Thank You in advance for what You are doing this day. We give all praise and honor to You, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, over the last um, few weeks, we've been looking at this series of moving closer, and and what i've been trying to do so far is is demonstrate to you through the scriptures how god keeps moving closer and closer to us because it is his desire for us to join him where he is he's moving closer so that we can draw near and and really it comes down to this question today cuz we 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 looked last week at some of the covenants and we're going to pick up off of that for just a few minutes today And um, these covenants really are asking one question, and it's a question that each and every person here in this room wants to know the answer to, and it's simply this, can I trust God? Can I trust God with everything? Now, most of us, if if I were to ask you that question, you would say, yes, yes. We would answer, you're in church. You're supposed to trust God, right? But what if I was to ask more specifics? Are you trusting God with your relationships? Are you trusting God with your resources? Are you trusting God with your identity, with how and what you think about yourself? Are you trusting God in every area of your life, or are there areas of your life where you're holding it close to yourself because you're just not really sure that you have enough faith to place that in God's hands? Maybe it's a a relationship, or it's it's, um, an area of your life, maybe it's a temptation. You're just not quite ready to trust God with everything. The folks in Battelle, one of the the huge hurdles that they have to, to overcome is coming to the point where they're able to trust God for joy and for pleasure more than they trust the drugs or the alcohol or the behavior that they were seeking happiness in. All of us have areas like that. It may not be the same, but we have our own areas. And what God is asking, I believe, of us today is, will you trust me? Now, in the Scriptures, one of the ways that God has demonstrated to us that He is absolutely trustworthy are His covenants. And we looked at this last week, um, that there are four types of covenants that are, we find in the Scriptures, um, specifically in the Old Testament, that then move to a new covenant that Jesus introduces at the Last Supper Um, that He invites us into. And those covenants are, number one, a blood covenant, a salt covenant, a sandal covenant, and a marriage covenant. And each one of those, there were conditions that were to to be kept, but they were binding covenants. They were promises that God has kept. Whether Israel did or not, whether we have or not, God has kept His promises. And in each one of these, what Jesus wants to show to you and to me is that you can trust him with everything. Now he has, following Jesus comes at an incredible cost because he says, if you would follow me, you must deny yourself. And when we deny ourselves, it seems like we give up everything and that's exactly what you do. But when you are willing to surrender control of your life to God... He gives you peace, and He gives you everything that you truly desire. Control is one of those things that's really, really hard for us to let go of. And I want to give you just a little simple example, though, of why giving up control is good for us, if you can absolutely trust the person that you're giving or surrendering to. In order to sleep, how many of you like to sleep? I, I really do, I don't do it very well anymore because I'm old, but I, I love to sleep. I, I love to sleep in, which means that I love to stay up late, which is not good. And there becomes this battle at night for me about control. You know, do I want to stay up, do I want to read a little longer, do I want to work on, on something, I'm taking a class at night and so I, I tend to, to do a lot of stuff on that. But there's a wrestling match for control because my body is beginning to say, it's time to surrender. And my mind does not want to give up. But what happens, and that's what happens. The only way that you and I ever get to sleep, or, or there's there only two ways. One, we get so exhausted that we have no choice. Or two, we simply surrender, control. And we're rewarded with a refreshment, with rest. And so the next day, everything is new. That's what God offers us in a very similar way when we surrender control to Him. He'll take all the stress, all the pain, all the hurt, all the burden that we are carrying, and when we place it in His hands, He exchanges it with rest, with peace, with strength, and with a renewal that we desperately, desperately need. That's the message of these covenants. The blood covenant, which is a, an old covenant, it goes back to the time of Abraham, was a covenant that had to do with sacrifice for sin. And it was a covenant and an agreement where God would provide for His people, and, and specifically, He would provide forgiveness of sins for us, but the payment that had to be paid for Sin was death. That's what the scriptures tell us. The wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And so Jesus has fulfilled the blood covenant. All the old sacrifices in the Old Testament, those were all pointing to the day when God himself would provide himself as a sacrifice for us. And Jesus willingly gave his life, died on a cross to bear your sin and my sin. He fulfilled his covenant. The second covenant that we, that we looked at a little bit last, last week was the salt covenant. And this, the salt, represents something that's everlasting. And, and if you were here last week, you heard this, but if you weren't, in, in ancient times, salt was used as money, And when people would make a salt covenant, they would take some of their salt and some of your salt, and you would mix it together, and you would dip bread in it, you would have a meal together, and then you would pour the salt back into the two containers that you brought with you so that um, your friend's salt and, and my salt was so mixed together you couldn't tell them apart. It was an agreement of friendship that was everlasting. And Jesus has offered us friendship with Him. He's offered us his hospitality to come to his table. This is is also the meaning behind what Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, where he says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will we make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. What he's referring to there when he says that is a covenant of friendship between members of, of between followers of Jesus. That we're to have a friendship relationship where our lives are so connected together that what happens to you affects me. And what happens to me affects you. The blessings we share and the struggles we walk through together. That's what Jesus has offered us is that he's offered us a covenant of salt, a friendship that is everlasting where he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And He invites us to enter into that same kind of covenant, not only with Him, but with one another. Well, the third covenant that we looked at really briefly last week was the sandal covenant. And as I told you, sandals were used in ancient times to mark boundaries. And so if you were to mark out your piece of property that belonged to you, that had been given to you, you would put your sandal, an old sandal, on the corner of the property and put a rock on top of it so that the natural elements wouldn't... wouldn't um, disturb it. And that was the boundary line. And sandals became a, a symbol. If you were to enter into an agreement about inheritance, you would exchange sandals. And there's the whole story of Ruth about a kinsman redeemer. And, um, and we looked at some in Deuteronomy. I won't take the time to do that today. But it was all about an inheritance. And what Jesus has offered to you and I is to become joint heirs with him. He not only offers, God doesn't only offer His friendship, He offers you an inheritance that lasts for all eternity. He says, I, don't, I no longer call you servants, but sons and daughters. I want you to take part in all that I have. And so in each of these cases, God is demonstrating to us we can trust Him because He is interested in our good. And what will ultimately be for our good will also reflect His glory and His greatness. But the last covenant, the one that is most important and the one that leads us into the new covenant, is a marriage covenant. And last, last week, I, I tried to share with you uh, about the Jewish tradition of the ketubah. Um, this is a ketubah, if you weren't here. It's written in Aramaic, and it was a prenuptial agreement between uh, the groom promising what he would do for his bride, and, and the groom had to meet all the con- conditions of the covenant, and he would talk about how he would provide for the bride, how he would care for her, the home that he would provide, and the, and the covenant would, or excuse me, the, the ketubah would list out his family history because the bride was being welcomed into his family, a part of his inheritance, a part of his heritage, and their lives would become one. But all the responsibilities of the ketubah lay upon the groom. It was a promise that he had to keep. And then when he was ready to to go and present his promises that had already been witnessed and signed by others who said, yes, this is a man of integrity who fulfills his promises, and he will keep what he has promised Um, as written in the Ketubah, it would be signed and sealed. A Ketubah would eventually be sealed with seven seals. It actually points forward to some prophecy that we see in the book of Revelation that we don't have time to unpack today, but it's it's all part of the promise that he makes. And when he made that promise, he would go to the father's house of the, the woman that he wanted to marry, and he would knock on the door. And the bride would tell her father, if she wanted to receive the invitation, the proposal to be married, she would send her father to open the door and invite him in, and the two would share wine together. He would share his promise of covenant, and they would enter into an engagement that was legally binding. This is what Joseph did for Mary. They had not yet had the wedding feast where it was consummated, but they came together as one in a legal binding agreement. And last week I showed you in Jeremiah 31, God's covenant promises to us that He will put His Spirit within us when we trust Him. He will write His truth on our minds and on our hearts. But more than that, He promises to love us. Hebrews says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, and that covenant is God saying, I want you so much, I want you to be my bride. That's the kind of intimacy God wants to have with you and me. And maybe that's a little hard for you to get your mind around. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe um, you're a guy, and it it feels a little weird. Just set that aside, because here's the thing. Whatever is the deepest desire of your heart to be known and to be loved, that's what God is offering. He's offering you and I a relationship where who you truly are at the very core of your being has an opportunity to find freedom and acceptance in God. Now, that doesn't mean that he's gonna leave you where you are, but he'll meet you right where you are right now, no matter how messed up your life is or my life is, he'll meet you right where he is where, excuse me, right where you are, and then he's going to begin to transform you into the person he created you to be. It is the most rewarding relationship anywhere on the planet. It's the deepest, most fulfilling. And he offers us a new um, covenant, Hebrews goes on to say, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That comes through the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. He offers us salvation. He offers us friendship. He offers us an inheritance. And He offers us Himself. That's ultimately what the marriage covenant is really all about. Well, let me turn for just a moment to to the passage I referred to in Revelation chapter 3. It's a passage that most of the time when preachers teach on it, they they teach about this as a call for salvation. And it is that, but really, it is a call to the church. So it doesn't matter if you've been a believer forever or you haven't trusted the Lord yet. This is written to you in Revelation 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you see what God is offering you? He's not offering you to be a servant or to be some kind of second class person in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, I want you to sit right beside me On the throne, the highest position in all the universe, I'm inviting you to have a part of it by becoming united with me through faith. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, God is offering, what more could he offer you? He's offering you the throne of heaven. Why why would we ever say no when he offers something so amazing? Amazing. And he ends it with, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So understand that this is an invitation to you individually, but it also is an invitation to us as a church. God is knocking on the door of our church as well, saying, Would you let me in more deeply into your midst as a people? Would you allow me to transform you and make you into my bride? so that you can bring life and hope and joy to the people around you, to the peoples of Prague, to the nations that are gathered here. I want to use you as my ambassadors to reach the hearts and lives of others, to show them what I'm like. He says, I will come in and dine with them and he with me, And to the one who overcomes, I will grant to sit on my throne. That's God's invitation to all of us. Now understand, this invitation is an invitation of intimacy and love. God is the originator and the initiator of love. Before you ever began wanting God, He was pursuing you already. I love some of the stories about... um, about, we heard in the testimonies about, I didn't even I didn't know about God, but was, I, felt, I felt He was doing something in me on the streets. That's what God does in all of us. He pulls us to Himself through the prompting of His Holy Spirit to say, I have more for you. And, and what He's doing is He's inviting us into a love relationship, a divine romance that is seen throughout the Scriptures. And we have a tendency to make A relationship with God, more of a religion, more of some things that we do, some boxes that we check off, instead of an intimate love relationship with the God of the universe who wants you to be a part of his union as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and welcomes us as his church into that union. Oftentimes we keep God at a distance though because of guilt, we feel unworthy. And the truth is, every one of us is unworthy. But there's a beautiful tradition that's, that may seem a little weird because it's, it's ancient, but I have here on the table, this is called a talat cloth. It's a prayer cloth. And, and you'll see, when maybe you've, you've looked at, at videos where you see... Um, Jews who are praying, especially like at the Western Wall, they'll have this cloth over the top of their head. Their heads are covered in reverence to God because this covering represents the Shekinah or the covering of God and the cloud in the tabernacle. It was a reminder that when you put on that covering, you were entering God's presence. That's its whole purpose. But it also is something that's used in a wedding ceremony. It's called the chuppah, and um, and it oftentimes they will use the groom's talit, his prayer cloth. And they'll get married, the bride and the groom, underneath that talit. And it's, it's a beautiful picture of asking for God's blessing upon the relationship that they're entering into and that the two of them are becoming one. And it has a beautiful tradition because usually the talit was given to the groom by his father as a symbol of, of his love and his belief in his son, Um, And it's a picture ultimately of God pouring out His Holy Spirit and and there at Jesus' baptism saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was the kind of blessing that you would have when you received your talent. But here's what would happen. In ancient times, um, the greatest shame that a woman could face, well, there were two really. The first one was to come to marriage and not be a virgin, not be pure. It would, it would have been considered shameful in ancient culture. And the other would be to be barren, to not be able to bear children. That would have been shameful. And, and the traditions of those days, and I'm not endorsing this, I'm simply telling you because it becomes a beautiful story, so don't get weirded out by it. But here's what they would do. Um, it, it would sound weird today, but what they would do is, When the marriage was complete, and the husband and wife went into the bridal chamber, the chamber that the groom had prepared, which is a reflection of what Jesus says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and in my Father's house are many dwelling places. It literally means bridal chambers. It means a place that I'm preparing for you so you can be united with me. When they would come and be intimate together, they would take the talent and they would they would, or the chupa, if they used a different cloth, and they would spread it on the bed so that when they were unified physically, there would be evidence on the cloth that there would be blood on the cloth showing that the woman was a virgin when she entered into her marriage. And then they would take it, and this is the part that really is weird, they would hang it outside so everybody knew you know, so the worst thing that could happen is you get married and, hey, where's the chupa? Where's the talit? You know, and it's not hung out there. It would be a sign that, oh, maybe, maybe things weren't what we thought. Even this is some of the idea behind Joseph wanting to put Mary away privately. He didn't want her to be shamed. But you see, when a groom truly loved his bride, what they would do is they would place some of their own blood the talent, whether there was other there or not, to prove the purity and beauty of their bride. That's what Jesus does for us. None of us are pure. All of us are broken. And yet, in love, Jesus covers us with His blood, with His righteousness, with His purity. And He says, I want you to be mine. That's the picture that we see behind, um, behind God's love. And one of the most beautiful passages that, that we have in the Scripture is, is a book that's called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, and it is an allegory. It is, it is a story about Solomon's love for a Shulamite woman, King Solomon, but it is um, also a love story of God's love for you. And in the story, the Shulamite, or it's listed there in your headings under she, that's the response of you, and the he is the response of the groom. Here's what Jesus, the groom, says about you, his bride. Song of Songs 4, verse 1, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are as doves behind your veil. In verse 9, he says, you have captivated my heart. My sister, my bride, you have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. Now again, if you're you're a guy, that may seem a little weird, but you've wanted that kind of relationship. You've wanted someone else to look at you that way. That's how God sees you. Because this is written to you. And with that background, this is what it means in in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament where Jesus is is revealing his love and the Apostle Paul is using this illustration of marriage to point to the union between us and Jesus. In Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He was willing to sacrifice himself. Because we are members of his body, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The very first, most important application of this passage has nothing to do with the relationship between a husband and a wife on earth. It has principles that we can, we can apply, but it has everything to do with God's love for us and the invitation, the ketubah, that He is offering to you and I to become one with Him. And His first commitment is unconditional love. And this is a theme all the way through the Scripture. 175 times in the Old Testament, it uses the word hased, which means a covenant love based upon the character of God. He loves you unconditionally. That's the love Jesus offers. Secondly, his commitment is sacrifice. He gave himself up for you. He gave everything for you. He was willing to place his life on a cross and die for you because he loves you. The third thing he promises is that he's not only loves you, he's going to transform you sanctify you enable you to become all that he created you to be to be without a blemish and the most beautiful thing in all of creation, that's what he's preparing for us as his people he wants us to look more and more like Jesus and fourthly, he says he cherishes you, he promises to nourish you and tenderly care for you, he has your very best interest at heart that's Jesus promises. Now, I want to close with, with one other thing. I want us to turn back to the Song of Solomon. And I want to show you where the knock on the door in Revelation chapter 3, where it comes from. Because it comes from this book. Jesus, when He chose that illustration and, and the, um, the example that it has in marriage and in love... I believe very much he was referencing the Song of Songs. That just doesn't, that's hard to say for me. Song of Songs. Yeah. Song of Songs 5 verse 2. This is the, this is, um, the woman speaking back. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. Many of us in this room, if we were dead honest, we would say, spiritually, we've been asleep. Or at least we're somewhere in between that slumber time of half awake and half asleep. We kind of go through the motions, but we're not really fully engaged in pursuing a deep relationship with God. That's the condition of the woman there. She was asleep. And and she began to stir, and she heard the knock at the door, and she recognized that the knock was coming from her beloved. It was coming from Jesus. Maybe you've been indifferent to the voice of God. Maybe you've been so caught up in other things that the reason you feel so empty is that you can't hear the Savior calling you right now, and your prayer life is feeble. Right now, Jesus is knocking and saying, I want you to come to me. I want you to open the door and allow me to come into every part of your life. Perhaps the trial that you're going through right now is one of the ways that he's knocking. To say, would you open up your life to me? I will help you through that. But right now, I'm using that to get your attention. The emptiness that you feel. Perhaps that is the knock of Jesus asking you to open wide your heart and your life to him. Well, the next portion of the psalm is, is the voice of the groom. It's the voice of Jesus. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. He's been out. He's been waiting. He's coming in the middle of the night in the rain, in The earliness of the day, of the morning to pursue you. He's waiting for you to respond. He sees you not as you are, but for who you will become when you surrender everything to Him. But the bride has a problem. Verse 3 shows us her distraction. She had put off her garment. How could she put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? And what she's basically saying is she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready for him to knock on the door. And, and to go to the door right now would be inconvenient. There's other things that she had planned that she wanted to focus on. And she's torn between hearing the knock of the one that she knows loves her the most and the desires of her own heart and the things of the world. Answering God's call will not be convenient. He will interrupt your routine He will not be content for you to stay where you are, and the truth is you shouldn't be content to stay there anyway. That's why you're miserable. I'm just just saying, okay? You're not where you long to be. He has so much more for you, so don't miss him. Are there excuses that are keeping you from God? God? Cast them aside and move closer. The promise of of James is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's calling you right now. And it gets more intense. Look at the next thing she says. My beloved put his hand to the latch. He's getting closer. The circumstances maybe are, are getting more heated. And my heart was thrilled within me. There's hope building within her. And she finally gets to the point in verse 5 where she says, I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh and my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but I did not find him. I called, but he gave no answer. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've delayed in coming to the Lord. Jesus is allowing the uncomfortableness of your circumstances to strengthen your resolve to seek him because that's what happens next. What she does next is she goes and she um, seeks out her beloved. That's what God's inviting you to do. And he not only, she not only seeks it out, but she says in verse 8, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him I am sick with love. She's inviting others to pray with her because she's discovered that the deepest desire of her heart is her beloved. That's why we need to pray for one another because the deepest desire of our heart, if we really recognized it, can only be met in a relationship with God. He wants to make you whole if you'll give all that you are to him. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will draw your heart today so that you desire to delight in God more than anything else. That you're willing to surrender a pursuit of, of other things that will never last, to know him and to love him. This is what Jesus is offering us This is his promise. And when we respond to his promise, we discover that his love is better than life. Your life will become rich, not necessarily monetarily, but rich in meaning, in joy, in fulfillment. When you come to the point where when you miss an opportunity to spend time with God because of your circumstances, you're sick with love. You miss not being with Him. When you get to that point in your relationship with God, you are drawing close and have discovered that His love is better than life. So wherever you are right now, God is knocking and saying, would you trust me? Would you trust me with that thing you've been holding on to where your knuckles are beginning to turn white because you just are afraid to trust God with it? If he loves you enough to die for you, if he loves you enough to say, not only do I want you, I want to give you the inheritance, I want to give you everything I have, can't you trust him with your life, with your future, with your relationships, with your fears, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the offering of Jesus. I thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises. You're faithful and that we can trust you with everything. Lord, would you speak to each and every person here today, wherever they are, whatever they're going through, and show them the depths of your love, Show them the great extent that you have gone to through Jesus to draw us back to yourself. And Lord, give them the courage to simply say, yes, Lord, and to open up their heart and their life to you. Well, we pray these things for your honor, for Jesus to be lifted up, and for the good of each and every person here. We say yes to you, Jesus. Amen.